glad that we can run to the rock. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. There is strength in you, Lord God. There is rest in you. There is everything that we need, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's honey in the room, water in the stone, man on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry. Keep 
that you know is right in the Lord. You stand firm, you walk in love, and God will defend you, and God's in control even of those that are trying to trip you up. Amen? So stand firm, and God will stand with you, and in the end, they'll, they'll have a testimony and a witness to behold. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody in God's house. Good to see the Figueroa's back from, I'm say, South America, or was it Central? Somewhere below the border. They were down back from some missionary work in South America. Good to have Dr. and Sister Samuel with us this morning. Dr. Samuel takes off for India later today, and so we had some lunch this week. And so he's gonna he's gonna be praying with us at the altar. So if you need a touch from God in your body at the altar time, Doc will be praying with us before he takes off for a few months back to India, where he just came back a couple of weeks ago. So he's back and forth. But praise the Lord. All right, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd go with me to Colossians chapter 3. We've been in a series of sermons from this book for some weeks now. And I'm going to give you an introduction even before, an introduction to the introduction. How about that? Amen. I want to give you, in the day we live, you know, if you read the Bible, you almost got to preface it sometimes. But anyhow, um, we're going to read a bigger portion of Scripture than we normally do for our text. But we're, we're, we're going to, we would be negligent if we didn't. And some might read and say, boy, Paul's being awful strong here. Well, actually, he's just giving some clear instruction to a group of people that just came to know him. To a group of people that just are newly saved and came out of paganism and heathenism and all that kind of stuff. So he's giving them the basics of the faith that you and I might take for granted. But to them coming out of such crazy world, the Roman Empire and crazy lifestyles, it's it's what they needed to hear. So the first few verses, we're going to read it just to give honor to the word of God because it's in the Bible. Amen. But just rest assured, don't get nervous. We will be focusing mostly on verses 12 and on, and that's more the positive part. But let's just read this. Paul writes in Colossians 3, beginning with verse 5, he says to these young group of believers, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk. How many? We used to walk in these ways, in the life we once lived. How many know we don't live that way anymore? Not Christian, not if you're a Christian. All right. But now, verse 8, but now, you must rid yourself. God will work with you, but you got some work to do. you got to rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And hopefully you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And there, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all. And Christ is in all. I was going to say, I just can't help myself. There's any backsliders here. Well, you can breathe a sigh of relief. We're going to move on to verse 12 now, but we'll get to you later. But verses 12 and beyond, we'll spend the next two weeks taking this apart and letting it feed our souls. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves or put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, bear with each other. That means put up with one another. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, that's the peak of forgiveness. Amen? And over all these virtues, put on love. Love unifies it all. Amen? Love makes it work. You want to have better patience? Have better love. You want to have better gentleness? Have better love. And and over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're going to use as a title this morning, a moving description, a moving description. And we'll preach it this week. We'll preach it next week. Now, the Apostle Paul, as you know, if you've been with us, he's reached a section of the letter where he is teaching that our position is to be shown in our practice, in our actions. He laid the doctrinal foundation. We've studied that. He talked about you're rescued, you're redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been chosen, um, you're reconciled. He's laid down the doctrinal position, and now he's making a personal application. But friend, listen, the truth is something we live as well as learn. Can you say amen? And he's beginning to deal with some characteristics and some behaviors that should be the proper response the proper result of receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. The last two weeks we were looking at verse 6. Since then, you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Walk in Him or continue in Him. He's saying, if you're walking with Christ, if you've received Him and you're really walking with Him, these are some of the characteristics that should identify your life like clothes identifies a person. These characteristics and behaviors ought to identify your life. These are things that should characterize us identify us. These are normal things. They're not above and beyond the call of duty things by any stretch. They're proper things. They're basic behaviors for the sincere child of God. Now quickly, just note in verses 5 and 10, we read it. We're just going to note real quickly. Paul gives the negative side. He uses words like put to death in verse 5. He writes in verse 8, but now you must rid yourself. Verse 9, you have taken off. That means you stop doing it. The old self and its practices. And he's communicating clearly some specific behaviors that are unbecoming a child of God. Some specific behaviors, we're not going to guess about them, that are wrong for the Christian to live like anymore. Things that are unacceptable for a representative of Jesus Christ. You know, it seems like some of the people he was writing to, again, they were young in the faith. They were all first-generation Christians. It seems like some of the ones he was addressing, it's like the story in the Gospels of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? I mean, Jesus called up, there was life, but he was still kind of, he was still kind of bound. He was resurrected, but he was still entangled. He was still tripping up. He was still held back. In the same way, believers have been resurrected from a state of sin and death, but now we must rid ourselves of the grave clothes of the old life. You see, Christ has freed us, but we must put off 
those sins and practices that would try to keep us down and hold us back and trip us up and in some cases turn us back. Entanglements. Free ourselves and walk in the beautiful freedom and liberty and the victory that Christ has won for each one that follows him. In fact, you know, the author of Hebrews addressed this, didn't he? He told the church, if you're going to run this race, and you're going to be victorious in it, and you're going to be a finisher in it, Hebrews 12, we should be familiar with that. He says, then you know what? You're going to have to lay aside and, and take off weights and sins that hold us down and tie us up and trip us up so you can run with perseverance and run with a prevailing faith and run in a way where you can finish your course. So again, in our text these next two weeks, we're going to look at the positive side of things. But Paul does address some negative things. He says, listen, you got to get rid of these things. If you allow those things in your life, you're going to wonder, why is my Christian experience a step forward and two steps backwards? Come on, say amen to that. You know, you don't have to look at anybody, but just look at me, but say amen. All right. We're going to look at the positive sides, characteristics that we need to put on and express in our lives. Next week, we're going to look at compassion and kindness, patience, gentleness, humility, and love. Characteristics that God desires all of his people to grow in, to express and to exercise. We who are followers of the Lord Jesus, we know that it's not enough just to evict old patterns of behavior. They must be replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. They, they must be replaced by grace and knowledge and, and a deeper Christ-likeness. We put off the old garments, but then we put on the new garments. How do we like to say it? As we walk with the Lord, we're constantly dying to this and developing that. I'm dying to the old me and I'm trying to grow and mature in the new me. And it's a constant thing that we go through until we see Him face to face. Can you say amen? And we're never done with this. When no one's arrived, we're never there until we see Jesus. Now as Paul begins verse 12, he gives... I want to call them three moving descriptions of who we are as the people of God. And again, we'll we'll go a little deeper here in in a little bit, but learning and understanding who you are as a child of God is so very important in order to walk in your new identity as a child of the King. So when you see a description in the Word of God, it's important to take note of that description. Hey, that's me now. That's me. Son, servant, saint, shoulders. I mean, there's so many descriptions. That that identifies me now, that I'm a child of God. This morning, three truths that should have a real effect on how we live. Three descriptions that ought to inspire us to live worthy of our calling and of our, our call as Christians. And in fact, I throw this in for good measure. Quite frankly, these three things ought to make you feel good by the time you leave here this morning, if you're a child of God. Amen? A moving description of who we are as believers. Let's look at the outline very quickly. Number one, all from verse 12. Number one, you are. Not you shall be. You are. If you're a Christian, you are God's chosen people. Number two, you are God's holy people. You've been set apart. Amen. We've been set apart from the mess and we've been set apart as God's. Hallelujah. And number three, you are God's dearly loved people. God says you're my specially loved people on the earth. So number one, you're God's chosen people. It's important to recognize this, that God chose you. 
What a thought. What, what, a, what a blessing that God desired you and God selected you. This reveals to you and I this morning how precious and desired of the Lord we really are as those that walk with him and love him. It's a beautiful thought because, quite frankly, we were chosen not because of anything of ourselves. We were fallen. We were dead in our sins. We were in our rebellious state. But God chose us anyhow, as the songwriter said. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs. And again, I'm chosen this morning. You've been chosen not because of anything of ourselves, but because he loved us and he desired us. When you read the word elect or chosen in the Bible, it's never just an eeny, meeny, miny, moe type of thing. It, it's an affection. It's God looking upon us and expressing his heart and choosing us with an affectionate choosing. A favor that he sets upon. A desire that he places upon those that come to him. God's words to Israel ought to help us to kind of feel and understand this truth. Put your name in this. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 and Go ahead and like we teach, when you read these promises, put your name in there. The Bible says, for you are, go ahead and put your name, for Joe is, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Somebody say me. Mm. Feeling better already, amen? Chosen you out out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people. His treasured possession. Man, that's all right. Amen. That's all right. Whew. Good to hear God talking about you like that, isn't it? The word came to you. You had to hear to believe. How can they hear without a preacher? Amen. But you got to hear to believe the word came to you. Your heart was awakened by God's grace. Faith came alive as you heard the good news and you responded. You got to respond. You've got to say yes. You got to respond to the call. But it's not so much that we found God, but He drew us. He came to us. He awakened us. God made Himself known to us. Many others heard, but it didn't move them like it moved you. Others heard, but it didn't affect them like it affected you. It didn't awaken them. Sometimes you want to scream and say, didn't you hear that? What's wrong with you? Don't you get it? For some reason, don't get it. But to you... When you heard the gospel, the sound was precious. It spoke to you. It made sense to you. It woke in something up within you. When you heard about the Savior, it was wonderful. And the more you heard about Jesus, the more you wanted to hear about Jesus. When you heard the message, there was something in it. You said, this is real. There was something that was witnessing within. It was desirable. This, friend, is the miracle of divine grace for salvation. Is of the Lord before we ever were. God chose us. Before mama and dada ever smiled at one another. God says I knew you and I chose you with an affection, with a purpose and with a desire. And you are mine. Can you say amen? Oh Lord. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 and 4. For he chose us. Sometimes we think we got it the other way around. You can't choose him if he don't choose you first. Aren't you glad he chose you? Some of the people in the same family, in one ear and out the other, but to you, he said, man, this is real. Oh, some in the same family, like water off of whatever. Amen. Yeah, that duck's back, right? But to you, it's like, wow. Yeah. For he chose us in him before the creation 
of the world. To be holy and blameless in His sight. God knew you. God wanted you. And God chose you. Woo! And when God chooses you, look out, devil. Here we come. Amen. Look out. When God chooses you, when God chooses you. Doesn't matter what man chooses, doesn't matter. When God chooses you. That's it. Hallelujah. Oh my. Some think they found God. We like to tell them God was never lost. Not once. Not one day. Didn't need no GPS, uh, PSD, whatever. He doesn't need none of that. Amen. God. No, no, no. I was lost. That's for sure. I was stumbling around. That's for sure. Amen. I got anybody with me? Amen. I know you don't look so sanctified out there. Amen. I know your testimony. Some think they found God or somehow they discovered truth. But I want someone to know, according to the Bible, God has been the one that's been searching and knocking and pursuing and reaching and calling. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Go right to the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they're hiding. They're covering themselves with excuses and justifications. They're running. But God is searching. And God is calling. And God is preaching. It's God in search of man, not the other way around. He might be calling someone this morning. If he's calling you, respond. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, respond. Maybe you're not where you should be with God. Well, it's time to get where you need to be and make a fresh altar and respond. He's calling you to a new start, to a new beginning. Here's our point. He chose us. And that's a glorious thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's something that ought to bring some security and significance and confidence in your life. To think God Almighty chose me. He didn't need me. Really? Let's not think too highly of ourselves here, right? But the fact that he chose me, what an honor. That God would love me. And we know his choosing demanded he pay a price. He couldn't just choose. He had to choose and purchase. That's another sermon for another day. But here's the point. He chose us. How did Jesus say it? John 15 and verse 16. John 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. And I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain and last. Man, we've been chosen and chosen for a purpose, to bear fruit and to bring glory to the God that chose us. Mm. You know, in this world, in this fallen world, many have felt the sting of rejection, abandonment, disappointment. But God, the living God, the almighty God, he's calling men. He's inviting men. He's made a way for the blood of His Son that whosoever will can come and get right with God and come and become a child of God. He's inviting and welcoming so we call people this morning. Respond, respond, respond. There's so many examples in the Word of God. There's so many examples of God reaching out and God pursuing and God calling men. Many who weren't even looking for God at all. I'm reminded of one by the name of, uh, of Levi. Not Leo, but Levi. My wife typed this up during the week. She first wrote Leo. Leo. We, we, God bless it. We got a Leo, but he's not the Leo in the Bible. Amen. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Levi. He was a Jew that sided with the Romans. It's not a good thing to side with those that are conquering you, is it? And not only that, he'd, be a, he, he'd cheat his own people because he was a tax collector. 
And how a tax collector made money is you had to make a little for yourself. You had to make enough for own to get off your case, but then you had to pad your own pocket, you know. So he's either a tax collector, Levi, considered a traitor as an outcast of sorts. He was unwanted and certainly unworthy in the eyes of his countrymen, certainly in the eyes of the religious world. But Jesus saw things differently. Aren't you glad that Jesus sees things differently? He sees treasure when we see. <laughs> he, he sees value when we see. Oh, the heart of Christ. Listen, we talk about it in a prayer meeting. If you want to be a better intercessor, get the burden of the Lord. Amen. If you really want to know how to pray through, let God touch your heart for the things that touches his heart. And that will move you to pray. And that will move you to groan. And that will move you to continue until Jesus saw things differently. You know the story, he came up to that tax collecting booth and he said, follow me, Leo, I mean Levi, follow me. He said, follow me and I'll make you, I'll transform you. I'll do something new in you. I'll do something wonderful in you. And in three years, hey, salvation's a good thing. This is good news. It's a great salvation. He says, come and follow me. I'll do something good in you. I'll do something new in you. Glory be to God. And he goes from being despised to a disciple. Someone says, Levi? Yeah, maybe you know him better as other name. Matthew. Gift of God, writer of the gospel you're holding in your lap. Oh, yeah. He started out despised, but Jesus saw something different. Jesus saw something of great value, and he chose him just like he chose every one of us. Oh, glory be to God. And this teaches us to listen, your past doesn't have to dictate your destiny. Jesus is calling, follow me. I make something new. Follow me. For I have chosen you. I have chosen you to a better place and a greater purpose and an enduring position as a son and daughter of the living God. Mm. This is our first description of who we are. And Paul begins to write as God's chosen people. And when we realize that we've been chosen of God, that ought to move our hearts, that ought to minister grace to our hearts, and it ought to give us an understanding of who we are so we live according to who we are. First description of who we are as believers. And again, it should move us in recognizing that I've been chosen and you've been chosen. It ought to move us to live like those that have been chosen. May our practice line up with our position. May we believe who we are and live accordingly. Learning who we are and living out what we know. Again, it's so important to recognize one of the biggest keys in our sanctification process and really learning how to walk in the victory as a child of God is really learning to understand and believe and live according to your new identity in Christ. So many Christians love God, their sins are forgiven, but they they trip up and they struggle because their identity is still with that old nature. Their identity is still stuck in that old rascal who knew they used to be. But the Lord said, no! I didn't just wipe the slate clean, I made you brand new. I placed a fresh calling uh, mantle upon your life. And if we begin to study, and the Bible has um, promises to believe and commandments to obey and warnings to heed, principles in which we build our life. But there's also descriptions in the Word of God. And those descriptions give us insight of who we are now that we've become a Christian. 
of how God looks at us, of how we should act now, and what we should believe about ourselves now. Because salvation is believing new things about God, but it's also starting to believe new things about ourselves so we can walk properly with this great God. Can you say amen? Gotta learn who I am and then walk accordingly. Reminds me of a story of a great, great African king. As he was getting very old, they asked him about his story, and he said, you know, when I was a child, my grandfather was a very great king in this area for years and years. And as a little guy, I was always rushing around, running here like little boys do, running, running, running. And my grandfather, the great king, would say, son, stop! Stop being in a hurry all the time. Stop rushing around. Don't you know you're a prince? And one day you'll become a king? And kings don't run. People wait on kings. He was saying, you are. Start behaving like you are. You are a king. As Christians, we realize we are now chosen of the Lord, sons and daughters of the living God, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Let us understand who we are and let us walk according to that truth. Can you say amen? Number one, God has chosen you. Number two, God has set you apart. We're still in verse 12. We won't get away from that. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. Somebody say holy. Sounds good to say holy in church, don't it? Holy. Set apart. Set apart. Because we've trusted Christ, because you've come to Christ, you've been set apart from this world, set apart exclusively to God. The Bible teaches us we're no longer our own. We belong to God now. For you note takers, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. For you're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with our bodies. Amen. God chose us. We know in that choosing, there was a purchasing. There was a redeeming. When he purchased us, it cost God to set his affection upon us. He couldn't just choose us with silver and gold, but with his precious blood, he had to make that choosing. He chose us, but when he chose us, you know, when you buy something, I don't know why some people buy things, they just throw it in the closet and it stays there for three years. But when God purchases us, he sets us apart to holy purpose. All right. To an abundant life. To an, Oh, man. He sets us apart. How did Jesus say it? We're, we're, we're in the world, but not... Yeah. We've been separated apart from this world's morality, its worldview, its value system, certainly its sinful life. We've been set apart from that. But... We've also been set unto God for his exclusiveness, for his service, for his obedient living, pure living, righteous living. You know, Warren Wiersbe put it it like this when he commented on this verse. He writes, like a marriage ceremony sets apart a man and a woman exclusively for each other. So salvation sets the believer apart exclusively for Jesus. Our morality, our biblical morality, is part of our loyalty to Jesus Christ. We are God's holy people, set apart, and therefore, let's live like holy people. He had to pay the price of dying on the cross 
so you and I could be forgiven. Isn't he worth that we respond by giving him our best? Amen. By living a separate life and a holy life and, and an obedient life. Let us be those living sacrifices Paul talked about in Romans 12. Wholeheartedly given over to the one that gave his best for us. So number one, God has chosen us. God has deemed us holy and set us apart. But lastly, God speaks over your life that you are especially loved of God. Verse 12, look at that one more time. Therefore is God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. Dearly loved. This is more than just a general love of a creator for his creation. This is more than just a love of a father for those that are lost. This is a special, unique covenant love that God has exclusively for those he has chosen and those who have responded to his call for those where he sees the blood and the seal of his spirit. We are, you are, the object of God's special love. And that ought to speak to us this morning. God's great love for us ought to move us to love him back. We love him because he... He first loved us. Because of that great love and understanding the expression and the cost of that great love, it should do something in us to respond and live back and love Him in return. God deserves our best response. God deserves our faithful living. You know, one writer um, wrote these words, When an unbeliever sins, he's a creature breaking the laws of a holy creator. But when a Christian sins, He's a child of God, breaking the heart of his heavenly father. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference, isn't there? The one that's done so much, that's paid such a price, that's been so good. See, the the recognition and the receiving of God's great love ought to bring a response into our lives, a response of faithfulness and obedience and devotion you know, Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, one of the great prayers that Paul prayed for the church. And he prayed about this love, that we might know the love of God. And that word, that we might really grasp it. I mean, that we really might understand the depth, the height, the richness, the greatness, the vastness of the love of God. And be rooted and grounded by love. Allow that great love to really do something in our faith to steady us and to, to certainize us and to keep us and minister to us. You know, it's that great love that moved the heart of the Father to send His Son. It's that great love that moved the Son to willingly lay down His life in our place and take our punishment and our shame. It's that love that should actually move us and minister to us and make us into a very different people on the face of the earth. The third description we're going to look at, Christian You are dearly loved of God. You know, some people know that here, have a hard time allowing that to really settle and minister here. Some have seen false love, and some have dealt with an inconsistent love, and some have subpar, and and the love of God, sometimes it's almost too much for them to embrace, too much for them to really get. But God says, I want you to understand the depth and the richness in the greatness of this love. And I want you to allow this love to do something great in your heart. So you can look at yourself different. You can look at life different. And you can walk the way a son or daughter of God should walk. 
talk about the love of God. The Bible tells us it's a sincere love. It's a sure love. It's an enduring love. You know, Jeremiah said it's an everlasting love. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that beautiful? Thank God that this love won't expire, you know, at the end of the year. This love won't run out. This love won't somehow fade away or get stale. But His mercies are His love. They're new every morning. It's an everlasting love. It's an everlasting love. You don't got to worry about this love walking out on you. It's an everlasting love. And, and Isaiah said, it's an unfailing love. Isaiah says, though the mountains might shake in the earth, then your life might seem like it's being shaken to the core. My love for you is an unfailing love. He says, my unfailing love will not be shaken and not be removed. God says, you can count on my love. You might have other people say one thing and do another, but the love of God will never fail you. The love of God will never falter when it comes to taking good, good care of you. You can count on my love. It'll hold you through and through and through. This great love is an everlasting love. This love is an unfailing love. And it's a great love. Paul said it's a great love. Ephesians, the second chapter, after he got done describing our past, how we were dead and trespasses and sins. But because of his great love, For us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. The great love of God, a unique love that God has just for you, just for you, just for those that have received him. That he's bestowed upon only those that he sees the blood. It's a love that eternally extended and will never be withdrawn. It's a love that He's declared over your life and decreed over your life and deposited into your hearts. And the reception, the recognition of this love should should move us, should minister to us, and should make us a strong, secure, stable people in the earth, regardless of what's going on in this earth. Let me explain, let me explain. Number one, it should move us. You know, Paul wrote, the love of Christ compels me, constrains me. Right? Second Corinthians 5, didn't he say that? He's saying, you know, the love of Christ, it inspires my life. When I realize the great love of God for me and how unworthy I was and all that he did, you know, it inspires me. It energizes me. It's a motivating force in my life. It has an effect on me, on my service. That's why we go to the ends of the earth. The love of Christ compels me. What Jesus did, others need to hear, and it grips me and it moves me. Paul said, the love of, does the love of Christ move you? It moves me in my service. It moves me in my sacrifice. It moves me in my separation. That's why I live like I live. He loved me so much, I want to please Him. It moves me in my praise. It's like we sing like we sing and shout like we shout. It moves me in my prayers. I seek His face. I am deeply moved. By God's great love for me. That's what Paul was writing. And every believer that really understands the great salvation they have in Jesus Christ ought to be able to say, I am deeply moved by God's great love for me. It has a powerful effect on the way that I live. Why do you travel so much? Why do you Why don't you just make some money? You're young. Why waste your time? Why? The love of Christ is compelling me. Something got a hold of me from another world. And it's moving me and changing me. And you can live for things that will be thrown out tomorrow. I'm going to live for that which is eternal. 
and moves us and it ministers to us. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not only moves me, it ministers to me. It's an inner ministry, an inner experience of God's love. By the Spirit, God said, I pour out my love into your heart. Romans 5 and 5, the love of God has been shed abroad, poured out into our hearts. And it's a ministry of the love and Spirit of God that ministers to the heart of those that love God, those that are saved. It sustains us, it mends us, it heals our brokenness. It begins to give peace to our uneasiness. It imparts peace. It gives assurance of God's love and assurance and acceptance and belonging that this working of God's love by His Spirit helps the believer to really embrace being a son and daughter of God. Because we struggle, sometimes we hear it, but sometimes receiving it and feeling the truth of it struggles. So God says, I'll send my Spirit. In one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, it teaches the believer to say, Abba, Father. He's saying, one of the things the love of God and the Spirit of God does in our heart, it helps you and I to relate to God as our Heavenly Father. This some might have come from places where they didn't know their father, or had a bad father, or struggled with this. But the Spirit of God ministers to us, helps us to look at God and respond, Father. To rest in His love. To accept His love. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Those that embrace it, it relates, helps us, teaches us how to relate to God in the way we should. Abba, Father. The great love of God. Let me give you one more. It, it, It should move us. It ministers to us. And it should make you and I, the love of God, should make you and I, recognizing this love, receiving this love, should make you and I a sturdier, more secure, stable people in the earth. Someone says, Pastor, the love of God does this? Well, I think, aren't you familiar with Romans 8? I know we should be familiar with Romans 8. Do you know in Romans 8, there's at least three beautiful revelations, teachings, that the Word of God gives us, telling us the effect the love of God should have in the heart and life of the believer? There, 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 is, there is a guarantee, there is a victory, and there is a certainty. Remember that if I forget it in just a half a second, okay? There is a guarantee. When we begin Romans 8 and 35, who shall, rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Well, the answer is no one, because it goes on. Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No! You know, there's a guarantee that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. There's a guarantee from heaven itself that says nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. You might go through things where it looks like everyone's turned their back on you, but nothing in this world will ever separate you from the love of God. There is there is a guarantee and there's a victory. This Paul goes on, he says the people are thinking, wow, man, tribulations, trial, distresses, this Christian life is too hard. And Paul says, we're like sheep led to the slaughter. And Paul says, nay, nay, no, in all these things we're more than what? Through him that love. The great love of God not only gives me a guarantee, it gives me a victory. 
He says, you're going to go through it, but you're not just a punching bag. You're more than a conqueror when you go through it. Amen. You can go through it and keep the victory. You can go through it and keep your song of praise. You can go through it and not break down and not crumble underneath it. You can go through it because the love of God is a sustaining love that keeps us strong and keeps us fighting and keeps us pure. You don't have to get bitter. You can stay sweet. You don't have to get depressed. You can keep the joy and the peace and the grace of God. Can you say amen to that? The love of God, just understanding the love of God and what that great love means to you personally. It moves us and it ministers to us and it makes us a secure, stable, strong people even though around us there's trial, tribulation, persecutions, pressures, battles, enemies. It gives me a guarantee. It gives me a victory. Praise God, it gives me a certainty. Certainty. Because Paul goes on, he, he got... You know, Paul, I don't think Paul would do good with a clock. I just think Paul just got going. I don't, me and the clock are making friends. We're learning. We're learning. It's taking a while. Me and that clock had some fights through the years. Amen. I got throw something at it, turn it around, and hallelujah. Glory to God. Understanding the love of God gives me a certainty. Because Paul goes on to say after he writes, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. He said, I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am convinced of this one thing. That neither height nor depth, death nor life, things present, things in the future. Angels, demons, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, man. Lord, give God a hand clap. Oh, bless the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, friend, he loves you. 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 And if you're his child, on your worst day, he still loves you. Hallelujah. Most of us got kids, and on their worst day, we still love them. That's right. Amen. It's the love of God towards his people. His love is not predicated on your perfection. We'd all be in a heap of trouble then, wouldn't we? The same love that chose us from the beginning follows us throughout. God, so love. Think about this for a moment. Because we're going to get ready to come to an altar. And if you need a touch from God, let's believe you're going to get a touch today. Amen? Or if you just need to make a fresh surrender, make a fresh altar, get a fresh filling, you can get a fresh filling today. Amen? But Sometimes faith is good for common sense and faith to come together. If God loved us so much when we were sinners, how much more now that we are sons? If he loved us when we were running and fighting and straying and just disobeying, how much more now? That we're walking with him and loving him and praising him. I say that so you'll have confidence to believe. That whatever your need is, God's going to touch you today. God's going to minister grace to your hearts. God's going to release power to your body. He loves us. The descriptions of the child of God. Those of you that know the Lord, you are chosen. You have been made holy and set apart. Wow. And you are dearly loved with a special unique love God has for your life wow 
If you're here today and for some reason you have not responded to that love, respond to the love of God. He died for you on the cross. He shed his blood for you. Give him your life. Come to your, give him, put your faith in Christ. Come to Christ. Or if you're here today and you haven't been living like you know you shouldn't be living, you're breaking the heart, you're grieving the heart of your heavenly father. Stop it. Stop it. He's been so good. He's done so much. It's time to make a fresh commitment. It's time to make a fresh altar. It's time to take those things out of your life that you know are grieving the one that has loved you so much and done so much. Those of you that are here today and you're just so blessed by the love of God. As we close this service and we sing our final song, would you sing with all your heart and just give him praise and thanksgiving? He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And if you need prayer, if you're here today, you need special prayer. You need a touch in your body. The healer is here. Jesus is here. The one that loved you and shed his blood for you. He's here by his spirit. He wants to touch your life. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give God praise and love him. Oh, we're just going to open up the altar now. Sing the final song. Have our final prayer. And if you need prayer for healing, come down. Let people touch you and pray for you. If you just want to come and kneel at an altar and just give God praise for his love for you and all that he's done in your life. Go ahead and do it. If you need to make a fresh commitment, do it today. Don't go home and think about it. Do it right now. And go home and act on it. About our hearts. Father, we thank you for the great salvation we have in Jesus. We thank you for the privilege and the pleasure we have of being sons and daughters of the living God, the Most High God. Father, right now, receive our praise. Lord, we want to love you. We want to respond to your great love for us. We want to spend a moment just giving you praise. You've done so much. You've brought us so far. So many times we could have strayed, but you wouldn't let us stray. Other times we got frustrated and the enemy laid a trap for us. But Lord, you brought us through that mess. We stand here today sane, sober, pure, because of your great love expressed through Jesus. Father, receive our praise. And as we give you thanks, Father, in the name of Jesus, release your power at this altar. Let your gifts of healings flow. Let fresh fillings flow. Let the weary receive strength. Let the thirsty receive refreshing. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's worship the Lord. The